This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Valid one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 12-31-24. Excludes tax. Must update rewards. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Humans of Space, a podcast from the makers of BBC Sky Night magazine and hosted by Neve Shaw that looks at the individuals who shape our understanding of the universe and how they got to be where they are today. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skynightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Humans of Space. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Aaron Young, who I met just a few weeks ago. He was giving a presentation summarizing the discoveries that emerged from the first few images that were released as part of the James Webb telescope sort of smorgasbord um, announcement on July 12th. This is what we we can have. And his enthusiasm was just so infectious. I went, I really want to get to know this guy more. I want to know more about him. So Aaron Young is an astrophysicist and he works at NASA Goddard uh, Space Flight Center, but he's deeply involved in uh, so many different projects. On his website, if he had to kind of identify his three passions, they would be galaxies, early universe and space telescopes. He really loves what he does. He brought the images alive for me when we talked about the image release. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about him, who formed him and how it all began. Hello, uh, Aaron. How are you? It's uh, Thank you so much for joining me on Humans of Space. I've already told people about you and why I have asked, invited you to join me on the podcast because I heard you speak a few weeks ago at um, at the ISU, the Space Studies Programme, and it was your passion and your excitement about the James Webb images that made me go, oh my God, I have to get this person on and I, I have to share his, uh, his his beautiful take on, on galaxies and early universes to the general public. So how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm uh, very excited. Thank you for the invite. And uh, of course, um, well, I'm glad you enjoyed the talk from uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. So um, on this podcast, we like to kind of go back in time with people and we like to kind of figure out what makes them who they are. But it, it would be weird for me to jump back in time without kind of just getting an overview um, of why you were so excited when you saw the James Webb images. I mean, these are only a selection. So, you know, in uh, in in brief, what got you so excited about them when you saw them on July 12th? Well, the images are obviously stunning, but um, for me, it's more like um, five to seven years of my life. So um, when we saw these images, we are all obviously blown away by the image quality and how beautiful our universe is. But yeah. for me, it's more like, um, or many other scientists, it's the years of preparation, the kind of predictions we made, how we think the universe works, and then um, how these gradually become realized over uh, the course of years. For me, it's seven years, but for some people, it's 
this uh, all 25 years. So when it comes out, really, this is the most exciting thing um, that was occupying all our minds for the past couple of years. Yeah. And when you say preparing, what were you doing in preparation for this? What kind of work were you doing? Right. So specifically, um, I am, um, I worked on a series of work called semi analytic forecast for GWST. So, um, I'm a theorist and I, uh, make models uh-huh. of the universe. I predict how galaxies form, um, starting from very early times, you know, shortly after the Big Bang. And then I put them into, um, these predictions that the observers can use so that they can use, uh, uh, some physically motivated predictions to plan their observations. It's really important for us to know what uh, we're looking at before mm-hmm. we even start using a telescope because telescopes, t- uh, time is very precious and, um, we will need to, uh, s- sort of, uh, be able to extract the most science out of it. So, uh, it's important for me to, uh, for us to figure out, you know, how big of a patch of the universe should we, should we be surveying and also how long of exposure time do, do we do? So my predictions kind of, um, goes into that department in the planning department, but also afterwards, I'll be, um, using these physical models to help interpret what we see. So after we see all these amazing galaxies, we have to be able to um, uh, be able to connect the dots and figure out, okay, what is the physics behind these things? How does the universe operate? Wow. So basically for the last five years, if you get, you know, kind of, if I'm breaking down and kind of simplifying what you're saying, you were looking at previous images, maybe like from Hubble and stuff. And based on that, you were trying to put together recommendations of what the James Webb Space Telescope should should look at and also predict if this happens, this might be the reason for this. If this happens, that could be the reason for that. Is is that it in simple terms? Yeah, I have to emphasize that um, while Webb is exciting and amazing, uh, we have three decades of Hubble and yeah. other telescopes in space and ground. So we actually um, kind of know what the universe is doing. And through that, we are able to create physical models that kind of, um, well, with the physics that we know, recreate part of the universe. But also we are tapping into regime where the galaxies are too far away or too faint that cannot be seen with Hubble or any telescopes we have. So that's the department where I'm uh, coming into play to start making predictions for what Webb will be able to see. But of course, these are based on the physics that we already know. And Webb is just about to um, show us the whole new universe, which will rewrite textbook and tell us what we have done wrong. Wow, it's it's a really exciting time, isn't it? I mean, even for somebody on the sidelines, you know, you could tell, um, not just by the reaction of the people directly involved, but just by, you know, you look at an image that came in, say from Hubble, which I find they're just beautiful and stunning and they gave us so much detail, but then the extra layer of detail that came in with the, with the James Webb telescope, because they're using this infrared light that presumably we're able to look deeper and and further into the past of how our universe began and and that must be what makes you excited is it it is um so we have seen the universe in that uh wavelength or that range of light before but um web this time with this uh brand new telescope which is so much bigger than what we had before Mm -hmm. so if i just tap into a little bit of the hardware um in the past we have hubble which the primary mirror is 2.4 meters and now with web we go up to 6.5 meters across and that is about you know seven times bigger in 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 area so that uh gives us a a a much greater power of collecting light and you know it's it's all about how much light we collect and also with this bigger telescope we and now are able to achieve a finer angular resolution. And as you see those side-by-side comparison with past instruments, we're now able to see detailed structures that we w- weren't able to see before. And another really important aspect of Webb is, is temperature. You know, Webb is a really cool telescope. We say that kind of uh, literally <laughs> because Webb is situated in uh, a million miles away from Earth. And, um, uh, it, it reaches a very, very low temperature, much lower than um, was achievable by uh, telescopes that orbit around the Earth. And because we are observing in infrared and everything with a temperature will emit in infrared. So by putting a telescope that far and let it cool, we're able to eliminate a lot of the uh, uh, contamination or a lot no of the emission from the telescope itself. So it won't be looking at itself. Yeah. Wow. And what would you like to know? Um, you know, what, what is the mystery for you that you would like solved by the James Webb? 
Wow, that's a big question. I know. So, <laughs> so many things in, is in the universe, right? So um, my passion right now is really uh, in how the first galaxy formed. Yeah. So um, we, we have a pretty good picture of um, how galaxies evolve over the past 12, 13 billion years, you know, with how galaxies merge and how they get their mass and how they form stars. These are all important. But when we move uh, move up to the first episode of galaxy formation. How does the first generation of galaxies emerge from the early universe where mm-hmm. things are relatively dense and hot? We don't fully understand that. And there are a lot of uh, detail in there that is still waiting to be unfolded. For example, um, we think that uh, every galaxy has a black hole inside them. Yeah. But um, how this early black hole was seeded and how they grow in size, grow in mass so quickly is also a mystery for now. So I actually have a theory program for that. So um, Webb does amazing observations, but they also um, do a little bit of theory. So um, I am tasked to uh, develop a theoretical framework that connect these early forming black holes to um, observable signatures through the their host galaxies, so we can study the black holes, even though we cannot see them directly. But maybe we can go after some sort of observable signature that the galaxies are are showing us because of the existence of the black hole. And how would that make you feel, Aaron, if if you understood that? What would it do for you? Oh, well, um, this, I think, uh, goes with so, so many other astronomers as well. So we are a, a group of people that are so keen to understand how the universe works. So in principle, um, even though this question get answered, I, I, I would go after another question, another question. So really, this is um, mostly for satisfaction for, uh, I just want to know how the universe works, everything about yeah. the universe. And now we're tapping into earlier and earlier and earlier of, the, of, of the universe's history. And maybe someday, someday we'll be able to understand everything. And, um, and then we can retire. Yeah. I don't think we ever will understand everything. I mean, it's that thing, isn't it? The more, you know, the more, you know, you don't know. And I think that's the great pull of science is more than likely. I mean, it's always amazing when a new piece of information is kind of shared. You brought uh, brought a really good point and I should expand on that. So so it is all about the unknown. Mm. When Hubble was first launched, um, we didn't know exactly what the shape of the universe is is or how many galaxies are there until a group of astronomers decided to just point the telescope into a blank patch of the sky and just do really long exposure until thousands of galaxies just show up, which is you know, it blows everyone's mind. So, mm-hmm. um, well, now we know things in that department, but with Webb, this brand new powerful telescope, we just should, we, we just don't know what will show up. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so this will we, we, very well be, you know, repeated all over again. And we'll just be, you know, pleasantly surprised by what shows up in Webb. And then we just, it, it just might generate more questions. So it's really not about getting uh, only uh, the answers to the questions we have, but also what kind of questions will web generate? It's so true. It's I think it's what kind of leads us all. Um, and I think it's, it's a, I mean, the James Webb, I think, has captured uh, people's imagination because it is so visual. And I know that that's not the information that's, that's you know, that's not the data that comes in, but, but with very skillful people, they can image them and help people see things that, um, you know, with the untrained uh, eye uh, wouldn't necessarily see. But there's something I think everybody, no matter, as long as they, as long as people understand the basics of of what's kind of what what we're trying to achieve with the James Webb, I think everybody would be very excited if we suddenly understood ourselves differently. You know, I think that's always, and there's something about understanding how the universe began that, no matter whether you're philosophical or scientific or technical or literal, I think everybody has a vested interest in that, right? Indeed. And I guess it's, this is a good plug for an advertisement. So uh, if you're a student listening to this, there's so much work to be done in astronomy and there's so much more to be explored. So um, do consider doing a career in astrophysics or astronomy because um this is really exciting, actually, a very exciting time to join the field. Oh, yeah, it really is. There's just I can imagine all the PhDs that are that are going to come out now in the next couple of years. <laughs> so how many years of your life is going to be uh, involved with the with the James Webb Space Telescope, JWST? 
Well, it has been uh, a few years. So I put out the first batch of predictions in 2018, and yeah. people are still using them. And in just under four years, their uh, web is now launched and is operational. So this is great. And we're looking forward to maybe, um, well, because of the perf- near-perfect launch uh, provided by Ariane Space, uh, mm-hmm. web is actually expected to last at least 15 to 20 years and some said 25 years because of the onboard fuel will no longer be the issue. Um, but of course, mm-hmm. there are several other factors that might still affect uh, web's uh, lifetime. But I plan to stay with web for the rest of its operation. Wow. So it could be your whole, it could be, could be your whole career. You know, I mean, that's the thing about, that's the thing about, I always find that really interesting about people I speak to in the space sector, particularly in space science, invariably their career is based on one mission because it takes so long to plan, uh, prepare, produce, launch, and then actually like see the fruits of their labor. Rarely is that like your full career is probably only half. It's probably, you are the full length of a mission you probably only get to see half of in your full career. Timelines well, are so long. I'll be happy to continue to support web for um, its lifetime, but also yeah. um, a big part of my theme, the theme of my science is to make predictions. So I'm actually started working with the next space telescope. So if you want to hear about the next big thing at NASA. Yes, uh, yes. what's the next <laughs> big the, thing? As if we don't have enough, yes. what's the next big thing? <laughs> so um, in terms of uh, astrophysical observations, uh, the next space telescope we have is called the Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope. So um, it is expected to be launched uh, in May 2027, with maybe we will launch it earlier than that. But um, the theme there is kind of complementary to web. So JWST is about 100 times more sensitive than Hubble. And that's why we can go deeper and deeper in Mm -hmm. space to see the beginning. But um, there are still some shortcomings because um, web is not designed to look through a big patch of the sky, it has a relatively small so-called field of view. It can only mm-hmm. look at a small patch of the sky at a, at a time. So the Roman Space Telescope will have a, a field of view that is a hundred times bigger than <gasps> Hubble's. So imagine that we can do a panoramic survey of the whole sky. It's actually feasible. So um, in 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 um, instead of looking for um, uh, d- uh, very faint and distant galaxies, we now have the uh, ab- ability, well, we soon have the ability to look for many, many, many galaxies across the sky. And also because of the wide field of view, we don't have to do as many stitching together. Yeah. Uh, s- uh, so we can do an extremely long exposure time on just one pointing. You know, I, I should I would stop calling it a patch of the sky because that one pointing is usually bigger than the entire survey done by Hubble or Webb. So um, that's the future, and that's what we're working towards. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. So you're always excited in your career, Aaron, are you? You're always, you just, it's, it's like, it's like Christmas every day. Do you love what you do? Of course I do. Well, I have to say, um, I, I'm very passionate for what I do and I'm very passionate about sharing it with everyone that I run into. But yeah. uh, sometimes the work can be tedious and sometimes yes. it can be tough. But of course, uh, after we get through those hills and then um, the exciting things come out, then we can go and tell everyone, hey, we found something. Hey, this works. So how did your career in what you do now, how did, so if we go back if we kind of go slowly backwards how did you end up being somebody that makes these calculations and these kind of modeling sort of predictions of what we should expect to see how did all that start so I always have um, kind of like a theory mindset. I like to um, figure out how things work. And I like to tell story. And I also have a tendency to break things. So I know very early on in my career that I cannot work inside a lab. I, I'll break everything or things will explode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how you find out what you do next. And yeah. then um, I, I did my undergraduate in physics and math. So um, that helps a lot, actually, with uh, some solid math background. 
And then um, at an early time when I was an undergrad, I actually did some observation at the Arecibo telescope. Oh, that was lovely. the biggest ground-based telescope at the time, which unfortunately, uh, sadly, has collapsed. Mm. But um, that's where it all started. So um, with some observation with the biggest telescope at the time. And then in graduate school, I was uh, given this opportunity to um, start making predictions for James Webb back in 2016 when I started this project. Um, to be honest, I have no idea what the James Webb Space Telescope is at that time. Yeah. And um, yeah, so um, I just dive in and have to start learning on the job. But in, along the way, um, it got me really excited. So um, I, I turned a, a small side project into a uh, full, full-length thesis with four papers in it. Wow. Yep. And so you were, were you predicting anything before you got that James Webb gig? Like, were you already known as, oh yeah, Aaron's the guy who predicts things? Like, was that, was that already your identity or did your identity or your role kind of come about that, that opportunity that, as you say, you didn't even know what James Webb at the time was. And now it's defined probably, you know, the last five years and probably at least the next, probably your whole career, really, you're going to get more and more specialized in that. Yeah, so um, back in the beginning of grad school, um, I honestly have uh, no idea where to go, what to do, because um, I was just starting grad school. I mean, I I know where my passion is, sort of. Um, I I like to do theory, I like to tell stories, but... um, I, I didn't really know where what would be a good fit for, for myself inside inside this you know the field of astronomy. So I ran into um, my advisor, uh, Rachel Somerville at the time at Rutgers University, which uh, she is a hardcore theorist and she developed a model that models galaxies. And um, she gave me these projects. So um, I wasn't known for anything at that time because I, I was just a starting grad student. But over the years, um, we really uh, perfected this prediction uh, pipeline and we also um, provide a lot of data products that um, the observers can really use and to prepare for James Webb. So um, it went from a time really um, no one cared about James Webb almost to now everyone is turning their eyes to James Webb. So this is actually um, a a period that I I get to build my identity or find my place in academia. So I'm really glad this is how it worked out. Yeah, it's it's so funny, isn't it? Because I'm sure there's lots of missions where they think something is going to be big news and it just doesn't catch. But there's just something about James Webb. I think it's because everybody was waiting so long, but that the launch was so perfect. And the story of it, you know, having to unfold its um, its shield and all the different layers. I think that I think it was communicated really, really well for the public. And we knew that it had to get to the Lagrange point, and that's where it's orbiting now, one and a half million uh, kilometers away. I think everybody got a really good grasp of it and and understood it. So I'm glad that um, that your career is sort of riding on the crest of a wave because you know most of the time, what would we know about somebody that does predictions? You know, whereas now you you know you're really important to, for all of us to try and understand things better. You know? We have to say this is always a team effort. So I play oh, a yeah, small part into it. But of course, yeah. um, a lot of people does every all the different things. And of course, the engineers are the ones who made it work and show us the universe. And then the observers mm-hmm. are the ones who know how to look at the universe. So I, I play a part in this uh, big collaboration, this mm-hmm. uh, team effort thing. Yeah. But um, it's also important to just quickly highlight that um, uh, it's, it's, it was really hard to convince people to, to care about James Webb before any of these images yeah. come out. Out. So I went around and talked about it uh, right around the time before its launch. You know, we have these community events to start to get people uh, attention on web. And then uh, after the launch, we have this very complicated unfolding process as, mm-hmm. as web makes its way to L2. And um, that also we have a lot to talk about, but people are, aren't always excited for it because okay, you have this very expensive telescope, but we still don't know what it does. I mean, even though for someone who makes predictions for web like myself, I know uh, what it will see. I know what the universe is like, but really seeing those images come out uh, for the public, for myself, is really, it changes our mind fully. I think I agree with you. I think there's something about being able to see something. And there is something about those pictures that are they make you, 
you know, they they seem, well, they're art pieces, that's the first thing, but they're also deeply philosophical because people have to get their head around our place in all of that and how incredibly small we are. So it just, the questions keep coming. There was, um, I've been regularly, like every six weeks or so, since since before the launch of the James Webb on this program called Sunday Sequence. And it's a program that actually kind of asks bigger questions. And they were completely captivated by it. But they were the only people that I seemed to, that, that seemed to have an, uh, an interest in it. So I was kind of keeping them updated. And always it was because James Webb for them was about asking these big questions about where are we, uh, who are we, and where do we come from, you know, which is effectively what cosmology is, I guess, and and, and at the core of all astronomy and, and astrophysics. But yeah, I, I think it, it's always difficult, I imagine, because, you know, these instruments aren't particularly pretty or beautiful, but what they can capture is pretty beautiful, right? Yeah, indeed. Um, so I'm glad now we have pictures to show people and I can tell people this is just the beginning, even though the beginning for me has been a few years already. But yeah, um, yeah I, I'm sure these images will uh, inspire a lot of people uh, to to do amazing things, not just astronomy. I mean, obviously, I want people to um, get drawn into doing astrophysics and come join us to join the force mm. to, to, to do more science, but also people who have seen the possibility, like, you know, a telescope that complicated that bay can be built and launched to space and someone else will want to build something like that in the future as well yeah. or yeah. um people who do artwork well now we show them the universe like never before and that yeah. will definitely inspire them to create more exciting artwork so we have seen some of those actually in the isu uh a talk that i gave a while ago and mm-hmm. um yeah the public is already responding to it starting with um, memes there are memes everywhere <laughs> but that is a good sign that's a really good sign the public it's is happy really with it sign. Yeah. yeah no no one ever mentioned to me the delay anymore you know people are just satisfied i would say yeah. everyone is satisfied yeah and at least by the delay we, we you know everything went really well so Okay, so your job is is making predictions, but was there always a passion for you about space, Aaron, or was it maths? It was always about the universe itself, actually. I'm always um, curious about how everything works. Um, so a little bit of a childhood story really is... Um, I, I like to throw things um, through a ball and then, you know, yeah. have the trajectory kind of recreate in my head. So I guess that's an early version of a simulation. I even told Jim this story before. Um, so um, I, I like Jim to... Jim Green, who you co-host Jim with Green. Them, yeah, on um, Clubhouse every Thursday. What time on a Thursday? Let's, let's, Thursday, let's, I think it was 9 p.m. 9 Eastern time. So we have a show Eastern. on Clubhouse that talk about astronomy news. And then on Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern, we talk about uh, a topic on astronomy or space exploration. But yeah, I work with um, Jim Green uh, for the past year and a half on some yeah. public outreach talks. Yeah. So um I, 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 when I was a kid, I liked to simulate how um, the Jenga tower falls apart, all sort of things in my head, and you know, just like wow. create, recreate what, uh, how the universe—well, uh, not the universe—how things around me works to make sure I get those rules right, like you know, get the physics right, and. Um, those are, you know, imaginations, but um, it, it really forms um, the theme of what I would like to do. So um, making predictions was just the first step, but um, now with these physical model that works so well against uh, past observations, uh, I will be also using these um, same physical model that we use to make predictions to interpret what we see. So the astronomers are now at the stage of extracting sources from we from our observations. So there is is a very long complicated tedious process where we get images from James Webb and then we have to um, sort of process them clean them yeah. up and then figure out which is which source are which sources are really galaxies that are far away which ones are not that far away maybe a star nearby that looks like a galaxy in color so um, all those, those sort of things has to be taken care of um, so big kudos to the observers but what I will be doing next is to take um, the the things that we see, and then um, compare those with our models and see if we have the right physics to recreate them. 
or we are now uh, maybe a possible scenario is we are just missing something, you know, something that we really don't understand. But now we start to see it in this new observation because web is so sensitive. We can see things we can't see before. So if we see those things and our model cannot explain it, then, you know, we got something, some work to do. We have to go back and go back to the drawing board and ask ourselves, um, how did this happen in, 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 the, in the big picture, in the big framework that we have? Was it some physics that we don't understand that we have to just uh, introduce that to the model? Or is it something that we, uh, we actually understand, but it behaved differently in the early universe? So there are all sorts of things that we can do afterwards. But um, it just ties back into um, how I like to think about the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, Yep. It's um, so you have the classic mathematical mind. So I've always wondered. So I'm, I'm, I like numbers. So I have, uh, you know, I count all the time. So so for me, um, it's it's about counting and it's about seeing patterns and it's about seeing sequences. But I've heard of people like you, and I've I've never had a conversation with one before. So I'm really excited. These people that when something happens, like you move a pen or as you say that you've got Jenga or you're throwing a ball, you're actually trying to model that and predict that in real time. And I completely understand why you would want to do that if your mind works that way, because the whole world can be predicted, right? So like if you're on a street, you see a car going past, you see somebody on a bicycle, you see somebody like putting their clothes on the line, that all has movement and velocity and air speeds and all these different factors to consider. And you're trying to capture that in a moment and give it a number and a value and a, and a, and a, a relationship. Yeah, indeed. And it's really fascinating because, um, it, this is not tethered to anything, so um, it's not like if I hold a block to my uh, on my hand, I can feel it. But this is uh, physics is everywhere. So this is the exciting, really exciting part about physics. It's is is not attached to a particular thing no. or a particular area. You cannot manipulate it. Really, it's just everywhere. It's like the rule of the universe. I just it's like really, a, it's like. It's like a way of seeing. I, I always think it's like a way of seeing. And once you see it, you cannot, it cannot be unseen. You know what I mean? That is true. Yes, yes. Well, it's so a, I'm, I'm just really grateful I get to um, keep on going in this path and just, yeah, use it and also um, uh, do a career on it and, um, and make something useful out of it, out of the passion. So Aaron, where did it come? Like, so I have this theory, and maybe I'm wrong. I have this theory that the things we're curious about are given to us by somebody who cares about us. So it's a guardian or a parent or a grandparent. Somebody usually like throws the ball out and we see it and we kind of pursue it. Is that the case for you? Or do you feel like as a child, this was just who you were? That's a good question, actually. Um, I think it's just who I am. Um, uh, my family doesn't necessarily have a uh, uh, academic background or well trained in mathematics so um it's it's not really uh, yeah. uh, my my this passion is not really encouraged in the first place but i guess they are at least very supportive um yeah. like when i started to uh, explore uh, textbooks they will uh, buy me the material needed to understand the physics but i think the um the the where it all started you know this this passion um the, the very beginning is really just me asking a very simple question, like how does the universe work and how do I understand it? Well, not the universe at that time, but how does the, the world around me work? And, and what age were you then, do you think, when you started asking yourself that question? It was really early on. It was um, probably uh, three or four. It's really um, just... Wow. A little kid exploring the world. Um, I mean, I'm sure kids do this all the time, not just oh, yeah. me. I'm not trying to say I'm special, but um, <laughs> there are kids trying to uh, build Lego towers. I do that too. And then, you know, p- the kids like to throw things. I do that too. But just when I see th- these things happen, I was just curious about, oh, well, why why are there seems to be pattern and everywhere and everything uh, kind of follow these rules. So uh, eventually I get drawn into it and follow through. But yeah, yeah, everything started off with a small question and, you know, this small passion can turn into uh, a big tree if, 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 if the seed was planned properly. Yeah. It's like, I think 
you know, kids are drawn to dinosaurs and space and rock pools, you know, and I oh, think yes. that, um, you know, there's something about it that, uh, you know, they, they all kind of asks kind of those big questions and rock pools is like, you know, from the very small thing. So, but you are clearly, your mind is clearly one of those minds that has that ability to think mathematically and to, and to, and to be driven by those relationships, which is very unique. Did you do well in school then? Or like, how did it, what happened then? How did it progress for you? I'm glad you asked because um, with that mindset, I did not do well in school at all. I'm glad to hear that because people think that, you know, everybody who has that mindset has it easy, but of course nobody does. Nobody has it easy. No. Well, apparently uh, school wasn't really for me at the time. Well, <laughs> well, I, I was really bad at sitting sitting in a classroom. I, I yeah. really didn't like to listen to lectures and sit all day. I, my mind just couldn't focus. So I, I never really do well in school. While I was in Hong Kong, it was more um, a classroom setting. And then I moved to Hawaii when I was 15. And then I went to high school in Hawaii, which... Um, it was a little more liberating, but still, um, I didn't do well in mathematics or physics. So um, I actually started college doing finance, but then um, an, an uncle of mine encouraged me to pursue something mathematical, but also with the mindset of doing finance in the future. But I was at least encouraged to pursue physics. And at that point, um, I, I switched major from finance to physics. And I went back to my high school to tell my physics teacher before I moved to San Francisco. And she wasn't exactly supporting because she has she had seen me do yeah. physics in her class. And she did, just doesn't think that I would, would be able to su- succeed. Uh, I'm just not the material to do physics. But um, it, it took a lot of hard work to actually uh, uh Build the the background in mathematics. So I started off with some very basic mathematics in college. Um, in America, we uh, have a class called pre-calculus. So yeah. basically, it's uh, a whole semester full of just trigonometry and then um, some algebra to get people ready for uh, calculus one. So um, I took that and then I took calculus one and then I followed through. It, at some point, it it just clicks. And then I was able to do uh, calculus and then I did very well in calculus two. And then I I taught calculus three to my classmates when I was taking calculus three. And that's the time I knew, okay, I should keep doing physics for my career, not just for the degree. And also um, I decided to also major in mathematics. So, so what, um, what was different? So what was, so this is really interesting because I think, I think this is something, you know, for a lot of people, when they have a poor relationship in their formal education, they think, oh, science isn't for me, oh, maths isn't for me, or, you know, I'm working with a bunch of amazing women at the moment and their mothers of kind of teenagers and stuff. And um, they're just from my local town. And all of them were like, no, science isn't me. And um, they had this impediment around algebra and I said can I have a go with teaching you algebra and they were like yeah knock yourself out now I'm not a maths genius at all but I, I kind of feel like if I look at something long enough and I play enough YouTube videos something goes in so I kind of shared a few fundamentals that I understood about algebra and like they were like oh my god I understand it I get it I get it and one woman started crying because she went that teacher that god damn that teacher you know so so this is really a hopeful story for a lot of people, Aaron. So what was different about college that didn't happen for you in school? What what was the disconnect? So I think what has been really missing is um, small success um, in in high in a high school setting. Um, I I I just I was just constantly failing. That was I, I failed uh, math exams. I didn't do well in homework, and it's hard to catch up. Once you fall behind, you kind of stay behind. So in college, I kind of just needed that calculus one class to jumpstart my physics major. So um, I worked really hard for a semester uh, to get through pre-calculus and then calculus one because. Um, I, I wasn't sure if I can even finish the physics major, but I just have to do it. So, um, and I got my first small success. So I passed calculus one with an A. And so that gives me some hope. Maybe Aaron can actually do math. So that's one part. And then the other part is um, finding a good teacher. So um, I know this is hard, but um, uh, maybe YouTube can be helpful these days. But 
there are there. I, I just happened to run into a really good teacher, by the way. His, his name is Tristan Needham at uh, the University of San Francisco. So um, he taught me he taught calculus in a way that um, everyone understands, very very v- visual, and then. Um, that just built a really good foundation, even though I only had him once in my whole uh, uh, undergrad. I, I had him for Calculus 1, but that sets me up perfectly for Calculus 2, which we started doing integration, and I was able to just blast through it. I can do math, like someone flipped my switch. And then in Calculus 3, when we jump into multivariable, and it's, it still works. So um, I, I, I don't know if there is a formula to recreate that, but really, it's uh, it's it's well, it's, it's fantastic it's the success that because it starts everything. Yeah, is yeah. it? I wonder, is it that you're a visual person? You know, are you a, are you a visual person? And and the school system, I think, is very much it leans towards readers. I'm not a reader either. You know, I learned things off by heart. I was okay, but but the second I was challenged, I I, I would just be very average. You know what I mean? So I knew how to repeat things and I knew how to regurgitate things, but I didn't understand the fundamentals of maths. And I've gone back in to, you know, um, YouTube, I find great because it's, I think I must be a visual learner. So, so do you think that's, do you think like, what was it that, that, that Tristan did that was different? Now you say that, I think it, it makes the connection. So I was also a terrible reader, I think. Yeah. And um, being able to visualize math and understand how things work, um, uh, you know, how the principle, how what is the principle behind um, all the formulation helps a lot. And once you gain the ability to break things down for yourself, uh, you can go really far. So I carry that on to all my future math classes um, and also to uh, all my physics classes. So um, instead of just learning calculus in Calculus 1, I also learn uh, learned from Tristan and gain the ability to um, break down the math into ways, you know, bite-sized math that we can all understand and then, you know, to, to, to build on it. That's fantastic. And it is that it is a bit I see like learning, I find is kind of like um, it's it's kind of like a like a Jenga or something that you build on top of. And if you don't get the fundamentals, you never really feel that you're on on safe footing. So um, that's really interesting that that you're you're now somebody whose whole career is based on math and clearly was somebody who had an innate ability to do it, but, but something got lost in translation in, in the school system. Um, it's, it's, so I uh, keep telling people this, um, whenever people ask me, um, what kind of math it takes to become a physicist or an astrophysicist, I keep telling them, it doesn't matter what you know now. It's all about, uh, can you learn it quickly? And you just don't hate math. So I, I tell kids, if you don't hate doing math, that's all it takes, you know, just, just keep learning, keep building on it. So I guess uh, the biggest problem is some people just don't like to do math so that you cannot force them. Like I cannot force myself if I hate, you know, doing calculation. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just really lucky that I don't hate doing that. Actually, I'm okay with it. I don't, I don't love writing equations over and over again to, to derive something, but at least I don't, I don't hate it. Like I, yeah. I think that's fantastic. So it's it's like a language you almost have to learn. Then once you once you understand the fundamentals, then it's like you're you're able to build on that, and then you're able to kind of expand and keep going and keep going and keep going. Yeah, I guess. But also, is um, now I have to highlight the pre-calculus class again. It's just the fundamental building blocks. It has to be there. You know, um, so don't don't get ahead of yourself. Um, if you find calculus too hard, really go back and build the geometry, understand why, how things works first, and then, you know, have the fundamentals, uh, built properly. And then on top of that, um, just follow through and then calculus one, two, and three, and then everything else will follow. Amazing. Imagine if everybody understood maths that, that capability, because I think it's one of those ones in school. A lot of people would say, oh, no, maths isn't for me, or I didn't like maths, or, you know, um, I always wanted to understand it better, but it always, like you, I always felt that it was just that bit ahead of me and I couldn't catch it. It was just, it was just slightly beyond my grasp. And I was sort of on a train and I couldn't get the train to stop. And if I could get the train to stop, then I'd have some chance of catching up. And that's the thing about lifelong learning, I think is, is, 
important to emphasize as well is that I think we're never done learning and we should always keep, um, you know, learning doesn't stop in school. Um, and I think that's more to do with your relationship around your curiosity and, and, and feeling confident to figure things out for yourself. Cause for me, that's where I think my learning kind of really took off is definitely with YouTube, but also that I would just go rummaging myself. And while I, I did okay, like I did engineering and stuff and I did okay, but I was never, I was never very good at anything. And I, I honestly don't think I really fully understood anything, but it's, it's since I've kind of taken ownership of my learning, that's what's changed for me. Would you think that that's what happened to you in college as well, Aaron? Yeah, but um, ultimately it's not about doing math. It's about what do you want to do, um, where you want to go. And then um, math is just one of the many tools along the way that uh, I have to pick up in order to do what I want to do. So um, I guess ultimately what uh, will bring success really is um, the ability to pick up tools as quickly as possible and do not fear to pick up new tools as needed. Sometimes I, I find that too, when I have to get out of my comfort zone and do something that I've not, never done before, yeah. um, I, 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 I had this mental barrier that, okay, let's, let me hold on for it. another day, another day, another day. And then, yeah. uh, you know, someday I would jump over the hoop and, uh, and, uh, and do it. But really, um, if you can get over that quickly and just, um, get the skills or tools that you need for achieving something that you need, uh, be that short term or long term, um, that will be all it takes, all, all you need to, to be successful, I think. Yeah. And I think because of your life experience, I imagine you're a terrific, you're a terrific teacher yourself because it's like you've seen behind the curtain of learning in a way, you know what I mean? Like you've had to break it down because you've had to approach it a number of ways. So I'm not surprised why you're so passionate and why you're such a, a great communicator when you've, you figured out your own way to learn maths, but you've gone above and beyond and you've really mastered it. It's great. Yeah, well, my students in the future will be able to tell if I'm a good teacher. <laughs> but for now, I'm just passionate about the things I do. That's fantastic. And so um, lastly, because we're coming to the end, um, when, you know, it's like my brain goes into two places, right? When I when I hear about the James Webb, I'm just curious to see where your brain goes. So, you know, I think about like, you know, the early beginnings of the universe and I, and I want to know all this information. And then I go, where am I? in that, in terms of like, where, if I were physically capable of getting to the edge of the universe, you know, I start, I start seeing myself in relation to that. And that's, that's the bit that I could spend hours and hours and hours thinking about. Do you ever think about your existence in relation to the predictions that you're trying to make and how that impacts us as a species? Well, the predictions part is um, kind of purely mechanical. It's um, the things we need to do before we do the exploration. But um, with Webb or with un- our understanding of the universe, I mean, 13.8 billion years of history yeah. and then a, a, a huge amount of space with with stuff in it, with galaxies. So for a long time, humans... Uh, thought that the universe is the size of our galaxy because we know there are stars mm-hmm. like our sun around there and then um as, as as we keep looking go further and further out we realize that there are cloud shapes uh, things that are not really um clouds but they are galaxies like the one that we live in and the universe is full of them there's so many of them there are hundreds of billions of them and then um it the universe also just does its own thing, regardless of um, whether there's uh, people observing it or not. So when when I try to when I comprehend that, try to comprehend that, and ask myself, where am I in this picture? Mm. Well, um, uh, we are just here as um, a traveler, um, both in time and in space. So we came by, we stopped by do a lot of sightseeing for the universe because it's really beautiful and it's um, um, it's majestic. But at the same time, it made us all realize um, how, how small we are, both physically mm-hmm. and also temporally. Um, our human history uh, lasts thousands of years so far and 
um, we were able to build very powerful telescope in uh, only within the past hundred year. So um, uh, there are still a lot to, to be discovered, and we are only seeing a snapshot of the whole universe. I mean, we are able to look back. We say that a lot, but still, with that look back, it's still just a snapshot. And who knows what they w- that will bring uh, if we can look for the universe for uh, look into the universe for a much longer time. Mm-hmm. So um, I won't be able to do that, but I truly believe that if we can um, do this for generations or hundreds of generations, uh, we can we will be able to see uh, see see marvelous thing uh, collectively. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? Lastly, then, what's, you, you know, you say that you're passionate about uh, early universes, galaxies and space telescopes. What's your favorite galaxy? Well, good question. There isn't one because mm-hmm. um, as the um, Hubble Ultra Deep Field that we all saw before, and of course there will be a, a replacement in the future that shows you the deepest patch of the sky where 10,000 galaxies shows up. So it's it's a similar picture to me. It's really, if we look into a, uh, a small patch of the sky, you know, the size of a grain of sand in your hand, hold up at arm length that small patch of the sky contains thousands of galaxies and that's my favorite image um all we need it's a field it's a universe that is full of galaxies you know um full of diversities that are there are galaxies that uh, they are near us and that goes all the way out to galaxies that are forming in the very early universe we get all sort of galaxies into one image and that's the best galaxy image yeah wow Thank you so much, Aaron. It was just a delight to speak to you and get an idea of, of uh, you know, just get inside your head just for the last 45 minutes. Thanks so much. And maybe we'll do an update in a couple of years time and we'll see where we're at and, and what we've learned. Um, thanks to the James Webb. And now this new one that you're involved in as well. What was it called again? Roman. I'll keep an eye out for that one as well. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'm delighted to be here and sounds like a good idea. I should come back yeah. in a few years. Brilliant. And we'll. Um, I'm, I'm going to tune in to you in Clubhouse with Jim Green on Thursdays at what time did you say? 9 p.m. Eastern? Correct. Uh, Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern, we have the Astro News Room, which, which yeah. we talk about three astronomy news of the week. And then um, at nine uh, at 5 p.m. Eastern on Saturdays, we have an Ask an Astronomer Room, which we talk about a specific topic in astronomy or space exploration. Brilliant. OK, I'll definitely be tuning in. Thanks again, Aaron. That was fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humans of Space podcast from the makers of BBC Sky Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, head to skynightmagazine.com or search for us on iTunes, Acast, Spotify or your usual podcast provider.